The following content is not intended as a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Always Another Way podcast. My name is Marina Sprocky Spriggs, and I'm your host. I am the Ippy Award-winning author of Stop Looking for a Husband, Find the Love of Your Life, and Nasty Divorce, A Kid's Eye View. I write positive divorce advice for the Huff Post. I have an MA in professional counseling, and I'm trained in clinical hypnosis. And this podcast speaks to out-of-the-box thinkers, and it's for those who hear the call of hope in always another way. And if you're very rigid and set in your beliefs, this is probably not your cup of tea, However, you should note, taste can, and do change. And I am really excited to bring on our guest today. I was at a conference in June, the Los Angeles Psychedelic Science Symposium. Um, very interesting. Dr. Gabor Mate was the keynote at the beginning. It was a combination of medical research and other people's experiences on um, anthogens. And I met... Dr. Tafer there, and he gave me a copy of his book, The Fellowship of the River, which is absolutely amazing. Um, and we're going to talk about it. So I want to introduce you to him. Dr. Tafer has been an integrative medicine activist throughout his medical career. And while in medical school at the University of California, San Diego School of Medicine, and during his family medicine re residency at the University of California, Los Angeles. He has collaborated on research projects with the UCLA Center for East-West Medicine and the Scripps Center for Integrative Medicine. After residency, Dr. Tafur subsequently completed a two-year postdoctoral research fellowship at the UCSD Department of Psychiatry under psychoneuroimmunology expert Dr. Paul Mills. And while in San Diego, he also served on the board for the Alternative Healing Network and on the steering committee for the UCSD Center for Integrative Medicine. Dr. Defer is also dedicated to education at the, and I'm going to mispronounce, Nihureo Centro Espiritual. Dr. Defer supervised traditional education for allopathic medical students and for medical student groups from the Southwestern College of Naturopathic Medicine and Bastyr College of Naturopath Medicine. He's also worked as a professor for the Pacific College of Oriental Medicine's online doctoral program, and he's now developing new educational programs for Modern Spirit. Dr. Tafur currently works part-time as a family physician in the United States and continues as a medical consultant to the um, Nihu Reo Centro Espiritual. And um, so welcome to the show, Dr. Tafur. Thank you. Thank yes. you very much for having me on the show. Yes. And so, um, and this is because it's, you know, out of the box and maybe a lot of people haven't heard of ayahuasca, but we're going to start first because you're a medical doctor and, um, you know, and a lot of people are, are used to tradition, traditional Western medicine, but we know there are definitely other ways and especially as it relates to trauma and actually 
a lot of proven ways of relating to trauma. But what got you first interested in your on this medical path of seeing like, okay, wait, there's maybe something else? Yeah, um, for me it was, you know, this a, in the book I talk about, you know, my journey of first being into a lot of, you know, being exposed to a lot of alternative medicine and being kind of a spiritually oriented person. So I was already interested in other forms of healing and had been exposed to, for, instance, for example, traditional Chinese medicine before I went to medical school, was considering pursuing that. And then I went to medical school and just I got very depressed in medical school and I had a really hard time with the whole everything. And that ended up uh, getting me looking, you know, when I ended up looking for help. And so I was looking for different things. I tried antidepressants for a while. My dad uh, it was a psychiatrist. And then eventually I ended up coming back to Arizona where I'm from and doing peyote in, uh, in a kind of a form of traditional spiritual ceremony. And I had a really big healing with peyote. And so then that got me more interested in peyote and, and spiritual plant medicine. And, and then my family's from Colombia, South America, where they have... Uh, well, you know, ayahuasca is kind of the more popular term, but it's it's ayahuasca is a traditional plant medicine that's coming from the entire Amazon. So there's forms of it in Brazil, there's forms of it in Ecuador and Bolivia and Peru, you know, probably in Venezuela as well, and then also in Colombia. In Colombia, it's called yahe. So uh, I knew about the ayahuasca, and I knew from my family there were some people who had explored plant medicine in Colombia and so I became interested in that and I went down to go try that because I had such a you know amazing response with the peyote and I had a really powerful experience in my first visit and I started going back awesome. and then eventually yeah I got more deeply involved yeah, so let's, um, and we're just going to kind of like jump in to just, um, just to sort of let people know from the get go what it can do. And you have a lot of just super, very interesting case studies in the book um, that are just very interesting to read, you know, with all their experiences. But can we maybe kind of talk about one and how a little bit about how that actually works? So somebody comes in with something and just the process, and then maybe one of your stories. Sure. So, uh, so, you know, this, well, so eventually, I you know got really involved. I ended up starting a healing center with with Ricardo Maringo, who's a traditional indigenous healer, ayahuasca shaman, and you know Shipibo tribe of the Peruvian Upper Amazon, and Spita Mamich, who is a Canadian artist and healer. So we started a center. There's a lot of centers popping up in in, in Peru and in Quito's Peru outside, where people are going down. Westerners are going down to undergo healing within this system of medicine. So just like we we're talking about traditional Chinese medicine or you have Ayurveda or, you know, Western allopathic medicine. And then there's uh, or naturopathic medicine, for example. And then there's this traditional Amazonian plant medicine. And within traditional Amazonian plant medicine, there's also kind of a spiritual healing tradition. So the spiritual healers involved in that kind of subset of traditional Amazonian plant medicine, some of them work with ayahuasca and other uh, master plants that are believed to be plants that can teach human beings. And so people come down and they go through a treatment, like a typical visit, there's groups, for example, you can stay as long as you want, really, but a good kind of starter experience for people is a 10-day experience where they come. They have to take a vomitive made out of a plant mix, a soup that makes you throw up to kind of open you and clear you and prepare you. And then you meet with the shaman 
or the healer and discuss, you know, why you've come. And, and then they, Ricardo in this case, would prescribe, you know, what kind of plant is going to be <clears throat> part of your process in addition to the ayahuasca. And then with these groups, then, you know, you spend the night and the next day you start in an ayahuasca ceremony. Uh, the ayahuasca is, uh, as I mentioned, it's a traditional, you know, spiritual medicine. It also has uh, psychedelic properties, visionary properties. So people go through ceremony and, and in that ceremony, they're going to receive healing song. And in the traditional belief and in the experience of the people who go down there, the songs, the Icaros become very pivotal in their experience in the ceremony and pivotal in their healing process. So that happens Monday, Tuesday, then you have a night off and rest, and then Thursday, Friday, and you have conversations after every ceremony in the group, and you have the opportunity to speak one-on-one -on -one and to try to learn about what's happening with you and learn about how you might approach the next ceremony. And that goes on, and then you have the weekend off on Monday, Tuesday. Um, you have ceremony again. Some people stay longer, two weeks, three weeks. Some people stay for a month, two months, three months, and even longer. And then there's the, the training that goes on there as well. So to talk about a case, for example, that got presented in the book, um, and it's relevant to some research that we're getting involved in right now, that last night we just had a little kind of community gathering here in Phoenix with some friends, and, and Russ was there, and he's, he's a good family friend of mine, and he's one of the cases presented in the book. He's a Vietnam vet. Uh, that was suffering with PTSD. So PTSD has been a big focus of psychedelic medicine right now. And when you talk about somebody like Russ with PTSD from Vietnam, well, I mean, that means he's been suffering with it for, you know, 40 to 50 years. And he talks about going to group therapy and watching these young guys come from Iraq and from Afghanistan, sitting across from him and then beginning to wonder, am I going to be coming to this group for the next 40 years? Right. You know, this idea that that kind of trauma, this kind of war trauma, this shell shock trauma, although some people, you know, don't necessarily suffer from that, but a, a, a very large percentage do, or a very significant percentage. Yes. And that it's not going away. And yep. that the current treatment is, is not uh, effective. That what's being made available to them through the VA. And uh, in some cases it is, you know, these different forms of therapy and um, different medications. But then and there is that segment of the treatment resistant, you know, PTSD of these guys. And so there's a really exciting movie I want to plug called From Shock to Awe. Okay, cool. That's now being released. They have a website from shocktoawe.com, which is showing like where it's being screened. It's being screened in these different theaters, which is screened in Phoenix, was screened in... Uh, in New York and uh, Seattle, they're, they're you know, trying to get wider release and it, people are really taking to it. From Shock to Awe is about these guys who are uh, vets of Iraq and Afghanistan and multiple tours, very serious, heavy combat vets who've been involved in a lot of combat activity, including, you know, killing a lot of people and defending, you know, people that are being killed. And so a lot of intense violence and collateral damage and, you know, children that are getting uh, killed um, collaterally and all that kind of stuff. Right. On top of just the trauma of just the entire experience. So these guys describe what's going on with them at the VA that they've been going for. And it's not against the VA. It's just like this is what's available. And we're just trying to find something that's more helpful to these guys. Of course. These guys are extremely frustrated. Yeah. And you know, 22 a day are taking their lives. Too. Exactly. Yeah. 
So this is like, you know, a major issue. And these are the, you know, so-called real Americans. Right. You know, these are the guys that uh, said, yeah, okay, what are we supposed to, you know, what do we need to do? What do we need to do to, you know, as they're being told to protect freedom and protect their homeland and protect, you know, their families. And then, you know, going and, you know, I guess all the different motivations that are actually behind some of those conflicts. And they're sacrificing themselves and their friends are sacrificing themselves. And then they come back and these guys describe in the movie, you know, being placed on something like 80 prescriptions over a period of four years. Wow. And they show their medicine cabinets and talk about how it didn't help them at all mm-hmm. and made them feel worse. And they get very frustrated with the system, very frustrated with life in general. Right. And then they start smoking marijuana because it helps them, you know, stabilizes them. They are able to come off all the other meds. And then they decide to, one, two of the guys go through ayahuasca healing at a, at a church in Florida that's currently in a DAA process, uh, Soul Quest, and they have this miraculous, you know, healing process happens to them. And then the wife, one of the wives, goes to MDMA assisted psychotherapy, and she has this incredible shift. So PTSD, you know, is a big focus with the psychedelics and uh, along with things like addiction, anxiety, depression. In the book, I described the case with Russ. So Russ was there last night. He calls himself Chapter 8. You know, he's like, <laughs> claim to fame. He's like, here I am, you know, <laughs> Chapter 8. And he, you know, what he talked about last night as far as what he experienced down there. So he went through a process like what we just described with the vomitive and the ceremonies. And they're also on this restrictive diet, vegetalista diet. So the idea is to receive the plants in this particular tradition, Shipibo tradition, not all the traditions practice this, but, but we do. And it's, it's you go with no salt and no sugar and no red meat and no pork and no dairy and no, no oily foods, no spicy foods, no sex, no alcohol, no drugs. So this deep purification, this cleansing, this very bland food experience to make you to sacrifice, you know, to open yourself up spiritually and then also just to make you more sensitive. So he did all that and he was put on these plants to help him with he had problems with diabetes and and blood pressure and stuff, previous heart disease. And he went into ayahuasca ceremony and he just the the healing highlights that he described last night were really like some of the biggest guilt of his life weren't he was a medic so he didn't really feel that guilty about what he you know what he did there in vietnam he was mostly pulling people out and trying to save people um but it was you know he was very traumatized he became very kind of violent and angry when he got back and he struggled with that and he was you know worrying about hurting people or going to jail and things like that but his biggest healing you know besides just like releasing that kind of energy and i described you know his first ceremony uh in the book with ricardo singing to him and everything that happened during that which was just like this immense release like visceral release you know vomiting going to the bathroom you know moaning groaning you know some tough stuff and his experience was beautiful you know from the outside he looked like well this guy's really having a hard time he had extremely beautiful experience and he ended up having these really profound experiences later through the week where he was able to visit his daughters and see them sleeping in the home and kind of like apologize to them for all his PTSD behavior that had kind of uh, 
affected their relationship. Mm-hmm. And then he had an episode where he was with his mom when his mom had asked him to smother her out when she was dying and uh, was really suffering for a few days. And she thought he's the tough combat son. I'll ask him to, you know, put me out of my misery with a pillow or something. And he couldn't do it. And he felt really terrible about that, actually. And he, she visited him in ceremony and told him, I should have never asked you to do that. You know, I'm so sorry I asked you to do that. And just releasing that stuff and initiating with his daughters, with his mom, and then, you know, later in his life with his ex-wife when he returned, a forgiveness process that was kind of held in that spiritual context that allowed him to have this incredible release. Uh, he stayed off his psychiatric medication until today smokes marijuana once in a while um his diabetes improved you know his blood pressure improved and he just had an incredible healing he ended up going back for three weeks a few years later and i described that process in the book as well yeah and that's just emotional healing super amazing and you know and i think one person said it's like seven years of therapy in a week and and yeah and i'm a therapist so yeah it's 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 a lot of a lot of just you know, rapid change when people, so many people are suffering from this. And then with the new or with the ACEs too high, showing how many people have childhood trauma, which also results in PTSD. And there's just many, many people in the world, you know, walking around like that. And there is healing possible. Exactly. Uh, and that's so, one of the, that's what I just briefly, uh, yeah. in that movie, you know, that's one of the things the guys realize. And that's kind of where we're at as a society. He's like these guys who never really, I mean, they were just doing, you know, they're combat soldiers and very brave guys, you know, brave in war, brave in their healing. And that's what's so cool about the movie. They're just like fearless um, to go through whatever they have to go through. But they kind of discover healing like they never really had been exposed to the value of healing that, you know, spiritual, emotional, soul level healing like the importance of that in any human society. Right. All human society relies on this kind of healing support. You know, people have been going to war forever. People have been suffering from sexual abuse forever. People have been abused as children forever. And so these are not, it's not just about stamping out those problems. It's about helping, you know, as much as possible, but also it's about helping people heal through trauma and realizing that that's just a basic like healthcare need Absolutely. that we need to heal people through trauma. And that's just part of life. And the, uh, the guy in the movie says, you know, he's like, when they get through this healing process and all of a sudden on the other side of a healing process, so often people have uh, an, an opening, you know, an emotional opening and, and ultimately a spiritual opening where they start to kind of become aware of some of the beauty that exists you know, in the world and some of the love that exists in the world that they were really because of heavy trauma, you know, people often are trapped in rage or they're trapped in in fear or they're trapped in sadness and they can't even like tap in to what's out there. You know, some of the beauty that does exist also. And so he starts to have that experience. These guys start to have this experience and realizing the guy's like, oh, my God, like this society is just a repository of trauma. It's become a repository of trauma because we just traumatize people, you know, mm-hmm. well, first they got their childhood and their family stuff. And then they have this work society situation, you know, which people, a lot of people are not happy with. 
it's not bringing them joy and you know all the rest of it and so but no one's there's no de-escalation you know there's no building them back up it's not like oh okay you went through a rough one let's let's help you out let's get you back out there that's not happening and so now these guys are discovering that and realizing that wow this is a big big deal and so yeah starting to enter the healthcare discussion because of the aces you know mm -hmm. and those kind of people that are talking about that that topic childhood trauma because of you know, psychoneuroimmunology, mind-body medicine and stress research and all that kind of stuff. It's just people are realizing this is part of what needs to be addressed by the healthcare system. And if it's addressed, you know, properly, wow, like what a savings economically it represents. Right. <laughs> you know, just like healthcare resources wasted. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not working. They're giving how much, you know, what's going on? This guy's getting 80 prescriptions in four years. Like, what is the good that's coming out of that? Well, yeah, I guess some people are selling medication. People are getting, you know, they're staffing some visits. But nothing's happening for these guys. No. And it's and so, once you're healed, it's life-changing. It's life-changing. Absolutely life-changing for the way better. And, exactly. And, and it's that idea. It's that idea that is just bringing that back. That some of this chronic disease and illness and our attitudes or certain chronic disease and illness is, you know, misplaced because some of these things can be healed. Yeah. You know, permanently healed or, or is healed to such a great degree that if it comes back around, well, then you heal again. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it, it extends into so many areas. And you know, just to touch on this briefly, as a doctor, my brother's father-in-law, you know, he's 70 something, was just diagnosed with type 2 diabetes and you know there's just this nightmare of oh no and the pills and this is the rest of my life and and you know really the doctors and the nurses and everybody and I know from being in that environment like a lot of times they're just frustrated with people who don't want to change or are unable to change so they just give up on people mm -hmm. so they're not they're not they're not saying they're just like yeah you're going to be on the pills for the rest of your life you know that's what they tell them he talks to me I was like oh that's you know you you're barely diabetic like do he just you know he went he started intermittent fasting explored that lost 16 pounds that was it and now he it's gone it's all gone see you know it's and just... and and he's feeling better and he has more energy and you know there's just so many options and that's like here i was on a uh, podcast here in phoenix and i live in phoenix and it's not known for being like the most progressive place but we have a democratic senator now in arizona so that's a big deal and I was on a podcast here with just some regular guys from Phoenix. And the guy was just like, hey, man, we know something's wrong. We just don't know what to do, you know, uh -huh. by this kind of education and this information spreading that you're a part of is, is so important. And for me, it's about spreading, you know, to let people know that emotional healing is possible. Emotional healing is real. Emotional healing has huge uh implications for for your health and for the cost of your health right you know you and don't need to be you know this idea that you're going to on a trajectory to be on 10 pills because you're going to get older as a human being in life in our society is a uh, brand new you know did your grandparents think that did your great-grandparents think that nope the shaman that i work with in peru who's 80 years old you know who's never had surgery and never taken any medication in their life are they worried about that not you know, all. all these blue zones all over the world, you know, what What do you find out? Like, well, a lot of them have not had a lot of medical care. And uh, and so it's just lifestyle and the importance of lifestyle. Now we're seeing 
what's underneath that is is the trauma the traumatizing society that is what's on behind a lot of addictive behavior a lot of destructive behavior a lot behind you know out of control greed right is an illness you know in the same way just like a gambling addiction it's in the same exact category i put it in the same exact category you know i call it greed rot oh yeah i'm trying to popularize that greed rot is when your greed you know becomes an illness it starts having interfering with your relationship with yourself with your loved ones with your community with your society you know when you start contaminating the water supply of where you live and where your children live that's illness for sure so that's the idea is to start bringing that kind of healing back and that's what you know is exciting about working down in the amazon and being part of a that traditional paradigm where they still like i say they acknowledge the emotional and spiritual dimensions of illness which is why people are going down there to get their healing because they're not finding that in the paradigm here you know there is you know there is therapy and psychotherapy and that does help a lot of people and it's just you know but in some cases like we need something to accelerate that healing absolutely um, because that you know this idea of when some people are being told that they need years of this or or years of that it's like it may not be like practical for a lot of them no, and talk therapy really is almost proven to not work for PTSD. It has to do, be something else to truly change that brain pattern. So we too. get in there deeper, you know, yeah. and then that's where. So then, just to t I want to throw this out there too, that because I have a I have a organization called Modern Spirit, and it's modernspirit.org. We just described, and Modern Spirit is a nonprofit dedicated to demonstrating the value of spiritual healing in modern healthcare. And so we have a research project called the Modern Spirit Epigenetics Project that we're raising money for. So I'm always trying to push that. Yeah. It's all described on the website. So what it is, just in brief, you know, epigenetics is this new area of biology that's talking about how our genes, the expression of our genes are affected by our environment. So this idea that when some of these diseases that look like they're chronic, this is forever, this is, this is you, you're born like this or your family's like this or you're going to end up like this and it's really like you know as bruce lipton who talks a lot about epigenetics he says you get the blueprint the the dna code then you got the contractor that reads that code mm -hmm. and is reading that code in response to the environment so there's a lot of different ways the same house could be built from the blueprints depending on what's going on in the environment and so that's what I call epigenetic programming. That's software. It's not hardware. So you know that the same DNA is making a blood cell is the same DNA that's making a bone cell. Okay. And the difference is epigenetic programming. That's how diverse the possibilities are with epigenetics. You know, at least, and that's what stem cells are about is deprogramming it down to the stem cell level and then letting it reprogram and become all these different things again. And so when it comes to our development, you know, there's definitely windows of time and periods of time or, or there's just the impact of, of a lot of strong emotional experiences. We now have evidence to show that epigenetics is one of the places that that gets stored at the cellular level, like a cellular memory of, of anything. Mm -hmm. So, you know, uh, the easiest example is is this mouse study that I always bring up where these mice, you know, you condition them to be scared of a certain smell. Every time they smell the smell, you shock them. 
okay? So it's like a PTSD, right? By the time they're done, if they just smell the smell, they automatically freak out. Mm -hmm. That gets passed on to their kids and to several generations. And it's actually like part of the biology of instinct. It's the way they're, it's a part of the versatility of the system that they can adapt to an environment in a way that they can pass it on to their kids. That their kids are going to be born already with a sense of what's gratifying, what, you know, some good smelling food mm-hmm. or what's dangerous, you know, some image of a predator. And even if the environment changes, the genes can still adapt through the generations to that. And so that's epigenetics. That's one of the ways that epigenetics works. And that's also now like the biology behind what, you know, what shamanically we would call ancestral trauma, what's being called intergenerational trauma. And so epigenetics is this really interesting thing. And now you can show how childhood maltreatment leads to epigenetic changes, how war abuse, war trauma can lead to epigenetic changes. And now we've also shown how some of the healing that happens, including psychotherapy, including antidepressants, including meditation, can lead to shifts in epigenetics. And so the MAPS trial, so now you're talking about effective treatment for PTSD, the Multidisciplinary Association of Psychedelic Studies, MAPS, has their MDMA-assisted psychotherapy trial, which is showing this incredible effectiveness with treatment-resistant PTSD. So they have people do therapy, and then they have integrated into that therapy, and it's all built around the same kind of context. They do MDMA in a kind of a, you know, a session that's being guided by experts mm-hmm. over you know, two or three sessions. And then over a period of, of maybe it's, I don't know if it's eight to 12 weeks of therapy. And they're seeing response rates, like first response rate in the pilot study was 83% in treatment resistant. Then now with a bigger, more expanded, I think they're in the 70s. Yeah. And then when they do the follow-up a year, two years later, they're 60 something percent. That's huge. It's huge. It's the most effective treatment for PTSD that we are aware of uh, at the evidence-based level. Right. And so something major is happening to these people where they nothing worked on them, and now all of a sudden they don't have PTSD anymore. And they were supposed to have it for the rest of their life. They were supposed to be just damaged goods that, uh, you know, what do you do? Throw some pills at them and send them to therapy for the rest of their life. And now all of a sudden their trauma is healing and they're getting open to this whole new set of possibilities. So with USC, Modern Spirit, and MAPS, we're teaming up. And so Dr. Ryle Khan is heading up the Modern Spirit Epigenetics Project at USC, where we're collecting saliva samples on the people going through the MDMA psychotherapy trial to look for epigenetic changes, to look for physiologic changes uh, that have happened as a result of profound emotional healing in a setting that kind of opens people up to the possibility of, of spirituality and, you know, where people, many people have experiences of universal love. So that's what we're working on and we're raising money. We're raising $200,000 to do the lab work, the lab, you know, why don't people do more epigenetics research? Well, it's expensive to do that kind of lab work. Maybe one day like ancestry.com, you know, in the early days, the human genome project was like supercomputers and all this stuff. And now you just spit into a cup and send a hundred dollars and they can do some DNA analysis. So, you know, we're at the early stages of that with epigenetics, but looking at the way that things like regions of the DNA where cortisol receptor, you know, the cortisol receptor that is, uh, you know, basically responding to cortisol, the stress hormone, the way that gets influenced epigenetically and the changes that happen around that. That's been studied in a lot of trauma research. So now we're going to bring that information together 
and look at the way trauma healing through MDMA assisted psychotherapy leads to biochemical change in the person, lasting change. I, I love that. And then also, like, as you said before, like lasting change for them, but for their families and for communities around them when they heal, it's just helping everybody, the more people everybody. that do that. Yeah. And, and so let's talk about, um, so there are some things, you know, when choosing, so someone's like, okay, this sounds, this sounds great. I really want to try this. I, I'm sick of being in, stuck in the position I am. But what are some things maybe somebody should be aware of when they're trying to choose a place if they want to do some ayahuasca healing? What, what are yeah. things that people should look out for? Well, when we talk about ayahuasca, so we're talking about a, you know, basically unregulated thing that is, <clears throat> in the case of Peru, is fully legal. And it's Peru, so it's not United States. And in Peru and most of the planet Earth, you know, a lot more personal responsibility is put on the person. Mm -hmm. So when you come down there and... Like they say, you know, you went to a place where you don't speak the language, you don't know the culture, and you sat down with somebody you never met before and you drank this, you know, mind-blowing uh, liquid. It's like, for them, they're just totally shocked that somebody would do that without a lot of research. You know, in other words, would you do that in your own country? Would you do that in your own society? So first thought is, it's not a rash decision. It's not a decision to rush to. It's an extremely... Uh, major experience that you might have and so you really want to be careful in the same way you would be careful about who do you go have surgery with you know it's, it's to that level of concern so the responsibility that is going to be placed on you as a foreigner in peru they're expecting you to take this kind of like self-care that you're going to actually be so concerned about yourself that you don't want to put yourself in danger so what are some of the dangers down there well, you have this unregulated process. So if you're drinking with somebody you don't even know, you don't know what they're putting in the mix. You know, you don't know what their intentions are. And there are a lot of people trying to make money off naive foreigners. And there is a lot of sexual abuse. There's a lot of guys taking advantage of, for example, women coming down. A lot of people come to try to address sexual abuse issues because it's it's been so helpful for so many individuals. Um, and yet there's a lot of people who would take advantage of, of somebody who has blurred sexual boundaries and, and abuse them in those settings. So that's, you know, that all that needs to be said. And, and then you have the actual like skill set and the proficiency of the healer. So like in any other field, you know, there's people who, who have more um, established kind of uh, reputation, you know, proof of what they're doing through a community the traditional healer is not necessarily legitimized by paperwork or by an institution, but by a community. Right. And so you need to have like a personal recommendation of somebody that you trust to realize, well, this is a good place. This is a place where they're going to take care of me. This is a place that's dedicated to keeping women safe. This is a place that's dedicated to, you know, some higher ethics. And that being said, then there's other concerns about dealing with things like ayahuasca and plant medicines is that, you know, because of the intensity of the experience for some people, you want to worry about any kind of heart risk that you might have, you know, a risk of heart attack, risk of stroke. Uh, that's something to be, you know, it's, it's not a soft experience per se. It can be done, you know, softly and more calmly, but it might sneak up on you and it might get very intense. So you want to worry about that, you know. And then there's uh, mental health concerns. So some people who have had previous let's say manic episodes, like a bipolar with a history of manic episodes. We've seen people, this has been published and I personally have witnessed it, 
of people being pushed into manic episodes by uh, through ayahuasca, lasting manic episodes, some that do not respond to just traditional techniques to calm the person down, and they need psychiatric intervention to bring them down. Same is true with people uh, with psychotic symptoms, schizophrenics with history of previous psychotic symptoms are at risk of being pushed into a serious psychosis by uh, at least ayahuasca and maybe some of the other psychedelics. So those are the, the, the basic concerns that you really you know, need to think about. And so you wanna be very careful you know, who you go to drink ayahuasca with and you wanna make sure that they're screening people and that's a sign. You know? If they're not screening people, then apparently they're not concerned about the things I just mentioned. Mm -hmm. So, and they need to be screening you. You wanna have access to them. You wanna be able to communicate with them. You know, I think that there's this attitude because of the language barrier and a lot of people's previous experience with shamans and from different cultures that, that it's not about talking, it's not about conversation, it's not about dialogue. I think that's just a totally lost in translation idea. And so, for instance, at Niwe Rao, you know, there's translators present. The shamans that we work with want to know what's going on with you. They want to know uh, how to adjust the care. They want to get results. You know, they're, they're intrigued. If it was a Shipibo client, as there are Shipibo clients, they communicate a lot, you know, to try to find out what's going on. And so it's not just about mysticism. It's about dialogue and conversation. So you want to have access to that. You want to be able to communicate somehow with your healers. Wonderful. And so since we're kind of getting close to time, um, why don't you tell us about the place that you're involved in? Because we know that's a very trusted place and very women friendly as well. And then yeah. um, and your book and just anything else that you want to just continue to let people know about. Yeah, well, thank you very much. Uh, I, uh, you know, I'm, I helped co-found Niwe Rao Centro Espiritual, which is outside of Iquitos, Peru. I, uh, I'm in the process of of, of selling my shares of the business to Ricardo Maringo along with Svita. So he's going to be the, uh, you know, an indigenous owner of one of the larger uh, ayahuasca healing centers in the area. So that's kind of was our goal. It was his vision to create the center. And now he's taking it back and we're handing it over to him. And uh, I'm going to be a medical consultant there. So I'm not really, since I'm not living there anymore, I can't really be responsible for what's going on down there but I can try to help and be a consultant and I still bring groups there and we're taking a group in January, two groups in January, and there's still a few spots on those that can, people can contact me through, through modernspirit.org or through drjoetefer.com. Um, so there's that going on. I'm also a medical consultant or advisor to Soltara, which is a new um, center that has popped up in Costa Rica. They're doing ayahuasca healing with Shipibo shamans that they bring up from Peru. And so we're actually I'm involved. I was part of a retreat there this year. And then in March, we're doing a retreat for psychedelic psychotherapists. So there's a lot of people who are interested. This MDMA psychotherapy is, is leading to within two years. They believe this is going to be a legal process through the next study. They're going to get this passed through the FDA. So there's going to be this expansion of MDMA psychotherapy. And so there's a lot of people trying to be trained in MDMA uh, assisted psychotherapy to be ready for all the people that are going to want to do it, you know, given the effectiveness of, of what at least what they've been able to do in the trial. And so our, you know, position and we and I find that many, many people are interested in this. And, you know, one of the things in this whole story of psychedelic medicine is this idea that there are these traditions, you know, these ancestral traditions for us to draw from and learn from. 
and we don't need to just completely reinvent the wheel and and, and just forget, you know, mm-hmm. about, for example, the Mazatec shamans that taught Americans about psilocybin mushrooms, you know, and the Buiti healers in, uh, you know, Gabon and, and Africa who are teaching people about Iboga that's leading to the Ibogaine, that's leading to like this, you know, incredible way for people to come off of opiates. And in this case, ayahuasca, you know, and all the Amazonian um, traditions that are teaching us about working with ayahuasca. And it's not just based on, you know, 30 years or 40 years or 50 years or even longer. You know, I guess the research with psychedelics in the United States started in the 40s or somewhere in that ballpark 50s. But, you know, multiple generations of knowledge and experience and wisdom around this stuff. And so I'm doing with Bia Labache, who's an anthropologist and kind of an expert in in traditional uh, shamanism and medicine, we're leading a retreat for psychedelic psychotherapists who want to learn about this kind of stuff. Like we say, bridging ceremony and therapy is kind of where we're at, you know, because the therapeutic world, which is, is, is you know, is where it's going to happen and where it's all powerful, but it is coming from a evidence-based, you know, academic background where discussions of spirituality are a little bit limited, you know, but then bringing the spirit to it by going into a place that's just unabashedly spiritual, like Solterra, and letting people have an experience uh, that's going to hopefully help shape their future as a psychedelic psychotherapist. And that's an experience with traditional Amazonian uh, plant medicine with indigenous shamans. So that's something that's going on at the end of March. And um, that's then, you know, Modern Spirit and the research project is going to unfold over the next two years as we get our funding. And that's what I'm working on. You know, there is a there is a movement in the United States to start more churches that would uh, meet the religious exemption criteria to practice ayahuasca, um, to use it sacramentally in the United States, the way that peyote is used. And so we have the UDV and the Santo Daime, the Brazilian churches that have UDVs already gone through a Supreme Court process and they have a DEA exemption. Some branches of the Santo Daime have DEA exemption. Soul Quest, which is showcased in uh, From Shock to Awe, where they have this incredible healing that goes on with these uh, vets. Um, they are in a process with the DEA waiting for their exemption. And, you know, I'm somebody that's interested in pursuing that myself uh, with the community here in Arizona. And so that's another thing that's kind of popping up. And, you know, it's obviously something that I think I think that's an interesting pathway, the religious pathway, you know, versus FDA and trying to go through trials with ayahuasca and the plant medicine, the ceremony where it's it's more spiritually oriented. So I'm not against the idea of doing it under a religious umbrella, the way the peyote and the Native American church functions. And uh, and I think it's a way to kind of like establish who's out there doing it, you know, like, okay, we'll go through the process, you know, come on board and let people know who you are and what you're doing. And it, it allows there to be a little bit more of a safe kind of setting, hopefully. So that's what's going on with me. Um, that's most of my activities right there. Well, wonderful. And then also you can get his book, The Fellowship right. of the River on Amazon, right? And in bookstores. Amazon's too. on Audible. On uh, Audible. On I'm Audible reading too. it on Kindle. Nice. So, so everywhere. And I just want to thank you so much for being on the show and sharing your information because as we know, 22 vets are taking their lives daily. Um, and there are many more people suffering with trauma. Suicide is one of the top leading causes of death in the United States. 
Right. And a lot of that comes from, you know, and I'm, I'm a trauma therapist, so I have people that keep that stuff to themselves until they see me and just a lot of hurt going on. And that just the fact that there is healing, we know there's healing. And when you read the book, you can see and listen to these, you know, the movie you're talking about proof that it really does work. Yeah, it really helps people, you know, and that's, that's the whole point. Like I tell people, you know, at least in the example of, you know, Shipibo ayahuasca use, it's not a radical uh, anti-establishment, you know, going against your family um, thing. It's the most conservative thing in their culture. This is what you do with your family. This is what you do with your grandparents. This is what you do with your children because it's extremely helpful in healing familial relationships. Yeah. And so it's about healing families. And so I'm not out here telling anybody to be a psychonaut or to do drugs or even to try ayahuasca. Like that is not my point. My point is like people need to heal emotionally and there's so much they need to heal trauma and they need to heal their intimate relationships and that's going to open up so many things in their lives and the proof is these cases in the book and all these stories that we're hearing from all these people and it's going to it's going to help the entire society Absolutely. and so this is one of the ways that you can do that you know and so we think that's really important and that's what these vets are saying and from shock to awe is like don't keep us from this you know don't send us down there to do all that to come home to 80 pills that don't work and then tell us we can't have the one thing that's helping us yeah. You know, that is wrong. And so, you know, but we see this big support that's growing, you know, all across the country, despite, you know, maybe our paranoia about some kind of counter movement. But meanwhile, you know, marijuana is being legalized and a lot of kind of more openness around plant medicine and other forms of healing techniques that are coming in. And so we just want to make that available so that people uh, don't have to suffer as much as they are suffering. That is the point of what we're doing. You know, it's a medicine tradition. It's a spiritual healing tradition. And so as far as a religion or something like that, as I say, spiritual healing is spiritual practice. Spiritual practice is spiritual healing. That is the entire point of spiritual practice is to improve your spiritual well-being. So if your spiritual practice is something that is closing your mind, closing your heart, you know, uh, endangering your health, that could be a concern, mm -hmm. you know. And there are other forms of spiritual practice that might be doing the opposite, you know, encouraging spiritual healing. So we don't need to be so worried about, oh, is this a sacrament? Is this a medicine? You know, how do we how do we talk about that line being blurred across the realm of spiritual healing? Because it's just like that's what people need. You know, if people go through a faith healing in a, a church, let's say some kind of a evangelical church, for example, you know, we don't get the FDA involved when somebody's anxiety goes away. You know, right. it's, it's, it's a it's a it's a faith based healing and we support that. We support the spiritual well-being of the community. And so this is a form of spiritual practice. It's a form of spiritual healing that we believe should be used very responsibly and carefully. And that can be very helpful to many, many people. I love that. Well, that's right. Well, thank you so very much for being on the show. I really appreciate it. And for all you out there listening, there is always another way.